It's good to be with you this morning. Um, It's great to be here. Let's turn again in our Bibles to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Uh, This is the psalm that Peter quoted from in Acts 2 as he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Psalm 16, it's on page 453 in the Church Bibles. So Psalm 16, let's hear God's word. A miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out to take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray for God's help. Our Father, we thank you that, that, that you do hold us fast. And we thank you that one of the ways you do that is, is through your word being preached. And so we pray for your help. We pray for the, the work of the Holy Spirit Um, to help us to cling on to Christ and to know security that he might hold on to us all the more this morning we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning for you to just think about and uh, the question is how secure do you feel uh, today? Uh, Or or put the question another way, do do you know you're going to be okay Do you know you're going to be okay this time next week, this time next year? If the answer is is not a confident yes, then um, Psalm 16 is for you uh, this morning. Uh, David writes this psalm, he writes this song when he feels insecure. Okay, so if you look at verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Um, We know, don't we, being a Christian doesn't make us um, feel fearless. It doesn't make us invulnerable uh, to life's fears and life's worries. And and David feels threatened by something here, doesn't he? He's coming to God for, for security. And he leads us in a corporate song, a corporate prayer, uh, to cry out for protection and preservation in our insecurity. He feels insecure, and yet uh, the psalm is full of positive emotion and kind of 
the feeling of security as well. Um, words like delight and my heart is glad in verse 9. There's fullness of joy in verse 11. There are pleasures forevermore for David in verse 11. Uh, we get to the end of the psalm, the outlook is, is quite different, isn't it? By verse 9, he says, My heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh dwells secure. So we wonder what has happened to David on the journey through this psalm, from the kind of insecure David at the beginning to the secure David at the end. What, what is the, the therefore in verse 9? Therefore. How's he got to that point? What journey has the threatened man gone through to become the secure man, the joyful man? Is it that his circumstances have changed or, or is it something else? We want to know his secret, don't we? And I think the simple message of the psalm is that your assurance of security is deeply affected by where your affections are. Uh, your affections and the direction of your affections, uh, you know what I mean by affections, it's the, the desires of our hearts, isn't it? Um, have a deep uh, 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 impact on, on the strength of our assurance and our feeling of security. So our awareness of security is not so much a thing to be grasped in the things in our lives out here, uh, but it's a battle in here, actually. When our desires hold on to the right things, there is deep security. But when we desire insecure things, then we're going to feel insecure in our lives. Just imagine the insecure David. And he thinks, I, I want to get secure. I, I want to feel secure in my life and safe. So um, he might get a dash cam. He might get security cameras on his house. Uh, he might get health insurance, he might find some solid investments to put his money into, uh, but, but David doesn't do that actually. Um, it's not that those things are wrong, but um, David, instead of putting cameras on his house, get, gets a camera on his heart and wonders what his heart is doing. His heart is the seat of his assurance of security, if you like. And um, he's thinking about the big threats of life, the, the ones that he knows he, he can't change. Um, so listen to what he's talking about in verse 9, uh, uh, sorry, verse 8. I shall not be shaken, verse 9, my flesh dwells secure. Um, verse 10, uh, you won't let your holy one see corruption. Um, you won't abandon my soul to Sheol. He, he's thinking about the threat of death, isn't he? Of bodily um, uh, destruction and death. And he's, he knows he's got no answer to, to those threats and that enemy. So he doesn't pretend he can secure himself from those things. So he asks, does my heart um, seek after what can give me security in those things? My assurance is a matter of my affection. So I want to um, show you three things about what he does with his affections. The ABC of his affections, okay? First of all, the aims of his affections. The aims of his affections. And I want you to notice how the psalm is full of decisions 
that David makes about the directions of his desires, where he aims his affections and his love. He decides where his heart is going to lead him. He's like Cupid, isn't he? You know, um, Cupid with a bow and arrow. And whenever he fires the arrow, that's the thing that someone falls in love with. He's got a bow and arrow with his heart and he aims it towards a target. He aims it towards God and his people above all else. Verse two, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Do you feel him pulling back the strings? aiming it at God, deciding, I, I say to you, Lord, I, I will aim my affections at you. Uh, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. He's set up his target, hasn't he? Uh, and that's the thing that, that's the, the, the target he's going to aim for. It, it's the Lord. He's saying as much as it's in my power and in my strength to do so, I will dis- decide to, to desire God. I will say, I will decide, I will set the Lord before myself that anything desirable that I can get in life cannot be additional to God himself. I'll decide to say and think and believe that I truly have no good apart from him, he says. There's nothing outside of God himself that my heart will desire as much as him. <clears throat> it's interesting how he describes God in verse 5. If you look there, um, he says, The Lord is my chosen portion, or um, allotted portion, might be another way of saying it. And um, he uses the language of inheritance, doesn't he? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. He's talking about land there. Um, you might know in the Old Testament, the people of God, they come into the promised land under Joshua. And they defeat the Canaanites and they they give out parts of the land to the different tribes of Israel. That's their portion, their lot in the promised land. And that's what it's all been about, hasn't it? God leading his people into the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. But David sort of flips that, doesn't he? He says, the Lord is my portion my inheritance it's weird that isn't it um he he uses the language of of land to to talk about the lord himself he says the reason that any of us should want to be in the promised land it's not just because of all the milk and the honey it's because god is there it's god's land where god is going to dwell in fact you can keep the land As long as I get the Lord, he says. The greatest thing about being a Christian, the greatest thing about being one of God's people is not that you get to go to heaven. It's that you get to have God. Heaven is only good for that reason. Because Jesus Christ is there. We get to be with him forever. And so he aims his affections at God himself. And in the bullseye of the target, um, God's people are there as well, aren't they? So in verse 3, the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I wonder if you can say that coming to church. 
He's deciding to desire God above all, and he admires, he loves the people who share that desire with him. He's talking about Christians there, isn't he? The saints in the land. Uh, saints aren't a sort of special elite group um, that maybe some people think that they are. Um, Christians are, are saints. Saint Raffaro, Saint Joel, Saint Mary, right? we're saints. He's talking about the people that he loves the most, isn't he here? For all of their imperfections, and we get to know each other, there are lots of imperfections, aren't there? And it's hard work being together on Sundays and, and living with each other and loving each other and bearing with one another. But the people at his church, his fellow believers, are the ones that he delights in most because of their shared love for God with him. Uh, notice how he says it, the saints in the land. He could have said, couldn't he, um, or, or the excellent ones, he calls them. Um, it's quite a, quite a description, the, the excellent ones. He could have said, couldn't he, as for the angels in heaven, they're the excellent ones. But he prefers that the down-to-earth members of Christ's body who share with him in this love for God. There's an affinity with them, particularly as fellow inheritors of the kingdom. And it's, it's true um, how he brings these two things together in, in the target of his affections, God and his people. You can't love God without loving his people. You can't love Jesus without loving his body. You can't have godly affections unless there is an affection for his children. And that love is messy, isn't it? It's hard work a lot of the time. But it would be like saying to me, wouldn't it? Oh, I, I really love you, Chris, but I just can't stand your children. You might say that to me. Um, but that, it, it would be odd, wouldn't it? You can't love God and hate his children. John says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. If you love somebody, you, you want to care for their, their body, don't you? You want to give them a coat and give them food if you're in their presence. And so when he delights in God, he delights in the body of Christ as the saints in the land. He, he loves the, the saints, not just the Presbyterian ones, okay? He loves the, the Baptist saints. He loves the Brethren saints. He, he loves the Anglican saints when they're um, truly trusting in the Lord Jesus. He may see some of their weaknesses, but he calls them all the, the excellent ones. He loves those in the tribe of Levi, those in the tribe of Judah, all of them. You find out someone is a Christian, isn't it? And there should be a sense of, oh, sense of awe. You're an excellent one. You're a saint. You belong to Jesus. So he aims his affections at them. Um, just uh, dream with me a little bit. If you could imagine your perfect day, um, maybe you do this in your mind sometimes, um, and you wish you could be doing something other than what you're doing. You're thinking, oh, if I could have my perfect day. I, I wonder what you'd imagine on your perfect day. Um, I hope you'd still be here now, if today was your perfect day. Uh, imagine if you didn't have to work, if you didn't have any responsibilities, if you had 
a day without the kids, no limits, where would your heart aim you on your perfect day? What, what do you love most in life? What do you live for? What do you hope for? And the way we answer that question might say quite a lot about us. The arrow of our affections, uh, where it's aiming, shows uh, what we're really about, doesn't it? Often, Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And David is saying, you could give me anything and everything that the heart might desire, but unless God is there, my perfect day is torture. There would be no good apart from him, he says. The world, in all of its wonder, um, is only wonderful because of God. Take God away and it would be an awful place. And so he sets the Lord before him. He aims his affections towards God. But that is not an easy thing to do, is it? So um, the aim of his affection, but then secondly, the battle of his affections. The battle. It's not an easy thing, this. Um, because there is in his life, um, and in all of our lives, the presence of forces that would get him to love something else more, isn't it? So um, there they are in verse 4. Those who run after other gods. And he mentions about their drink offerings of blood. Sounds pretty grim, doesn't it? Um, he's talking there about um, worship. Uh, worship of other things and other gods. Uh, worship practices of people around him. People who are running after other gods. It's quite a passionate um, expression, that, isn't it? They're, they're chasing other things in life. People whose idea of a perfect day wouldn't involve the Lord at all. And the targets that they are running towards and they are aiming at in life are nothing to do with the Lord Maybe the things that he gives, but not himself. It's not those things are necessarily bad. You know, money or independence or self-expression or physical pleasure, romance. But, but the battle is, is not aiming where everyone else is aiming, isn't it? It's realising that, that, that looking to things in the world to secure him is madness. And despite the allure of many good things, there is a battle here not to give his heart to those things. So he reminds himself again, doesn't he? If I do that, I'm not going to be more happy. Verse four, on the contrary, those who are running after other gods, uh, their sorrow multiplies. It's the same phrase that was used with Eve. God said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. These people are running down this road of sorrow when they're not aiming towards God and the Lord. But that is where um, aiming your affection someone else, somewhere else leads to sadness and insecurity and to worry and, and anxiety. And God tells us, doesn't he, that actually we're, we're not very good shots with the bow and arrow of our hearts. Uh, naturally by ourselves we, we couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with our affections in the right place naturally we're really bad at aiming at the Lord 
and not at, at other things on top of him. It's a constant battle, isn't it? Not to aim at another God somewhere else. And so he reminds himself, short-lived pleasures cannot save me from the big threats. And he says, only God has the power to secure me in those things. And so I will not pour out their drink offerings. I won't aim at their targets. It's this, another, it's this feeling of deciding, pulling back the bow and arrow and being conscious about that. But that is really hard because often doing that doesn't look better in life, does it? To, to aim our affections at God often doesn't look more secure, actually. It could be a question of choosing what looks less secure in order to aim at God. Less secure maybe in the temporary and in the short term. For what is more secure eternally? Maybe choosing a less secure job or having a slightly less nice house so that you can be nearer to church and just choosing those things that, that feel a little bit more dodgy and a little bit more wobbly. Upsetting members of your family, sacrificing material things, let, letting go of security, isn't it? Making yourself feel more vulnerable actually to aim at God may mean missing the targets of worldly security and worldly comfort. But actually losing those things in a weird way in the Christian life is part of gaining this assurance of security now and forever. Um, just go back with me to this idea of David's allotted inher inheritance. You know, he uses the language of land, doesn't he? And he speaks about God. Uh, you might remember that there was one tribe who did not receive a portion of land in the Old Testament, uh, the tribe of Levi. Uh, they were the tribe of priests, sons of Aaron. They were never given a portion in the land. So they had cities that they could live in, but they weren't given a, a part of the land. Uh, God said to them in Numbers 18, instead, I will be your portion. Levites, I will be your inheritance. It's what David's saying, isn't it? The priests became a living, ongoing picture to all of Israel that actually less can mean more. A picture of the true inheritance that the whole of Israel were looking for wasn't just a land filled with milk and honey, it was God Himself. Not the material land just in and of itself. But the Lord, that the priestly tribe, they, they were homeless technically, and yet their inheritance was unseen and intangible and, and held by God. And their portion was seen as something deeper and more lasting as, as God himself. And that was the privilege of the priests, that they had the eternal God rather than the fleeting security of some fields some land it's like paul says you know i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord i count all things as rubbish that i may gain him so david needs real security not some sham not some fleeting security so in the battle of his affections he aims at god and he keeps doing that above all else 
even when that might look less secure. So where he aims his affections, the battle for his affections, and lastly, the challenge of his affections, the challenge. Um, I think Psalm 16 is a really encouraging psalm. It's a wonderful psalm, isn't it? And yet, um, it is deeply challenging. Deeply challenging. We're told here that true Christian spiritual religion... It is not just about your head, is it? It's about your heart this morning. It's about the direction of our hearts, my heart. It has to be. David isn't just writing for himself here, sort of personal diary. He's writing for all of the people of God who are listening in. And he's saying, isn't he, um, sing this song with me. Try and sing it sets an example of how to be secure gets us to aim at god and he says fire it's full of deep emotional language it's about the desires isn't it what he loves most it, it's heady it's it's deeply convicting actually some of these words actually i find quite difficult to get out in a song can you truly sing with David with 100% conviction? You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Can I truly sing? The Lord is my allotted portion and, and be okay with that. It's really challenging, isn't it? Jonathan Edwards um, was an 18th century preacher. He wrote a famous book called The Religious Affections. And uh, it was all about the, the direction of our hearts with God, uh, where we're aiming our bow and arrow. And what he says is very challenging. He says, imagine the scenario where death is out of the picture and you can live forever, when all threats are removed. And he asks, would you rather live here on earth in all eternity but without the presence of God and communion with him, having no spiritual relationship between him and your souls, you being a stranger to God forever, or would you choose rather to leave this world in order to dwell in heaven where you can enjoy God for all eternity? In other words, what's your perfect day? What's your perfect eternity? Live full, um, a life full of the best pleasures on earth, but with no God. Or leave those pleasures behind and have God. Or put it another way, he says, if you had to stay in the world, would you rather leave, live in mean and low circumstances with the gracious presence of God, or living forever in earthly pleasure without him? Another preacher paraphrases the question. He says, the, the critical question for our generation and for any generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth, all the food you've ever liked, the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, the natural beauties you've ever saw, the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, and no human conflict and no hu uh, natural disasters, could you be satisfied with that place if God wasn't there? And that is the challenge of Psalm 16, isn't it? That, that is the challenge of David's affections. I have no good apart from you. He asks us the question, what is the best thing that we think we can get from God? 
And if it isn't God himself, then we're, we're missing the target. And it's no wonder that we struggle to feel secure and know security in life. Uh, even in my best moments, I've got to admit, I, I don't do this. I don't aim my heart at the bullseye of, of the Lord above all else. I don't think of him in that way. And that is why I have to confess I feel so vulnerable a lot of the time. Because my affections shape my sense of assurance. I feel insecure because I desire and love things that actually cannot keep me secure in the end. Not really. And the challenge is so strong, isn't it? It's actually so strong that we know that David himself did not live up to it properly. There were times in David's life when he did not practice what he preached here. There are some things that he says here uh, that weren't true of him, first of all, fully. Uh, we know that actually in the end, um, he aimed his affections at, at, at other things, didn't he? He committed adultery and, and murdered and, and he failed there, didn't he? He went off target madly. We know that his flesh did not dwell secure in the end. He died, didn't he? And, and he's dead today. We know that David's body uh, did see corruption. David's body is rotting somewhere right now, isn't it? In the Middle East, the Near East. It's the challenge here. Who can really sing this psalm? And it be true of them. We, we can't pray this prayer, can we? We can't sing this psalm on our own, even with David leading us. Our desires aren't always aiming in the right direction. We don't always place all of our delight in the saints of the land, do we? We fail at that. We don't always set the Lord before us. The acid test for who can pray this prayer is someone who has done all of these things perfectly and somebody who cannot die and stay dead somebody whose body dwells secure for all eternity who is kept totally secure one whose body did not see corruption whose flesh has been kept so, if you haven't drawn the dots yet, later in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, doesn't he, as we heard earlier, a few days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he quotes this psalm in, in Acts 2. And he says, doesn't he, that David was a prophet and he was looking to the Christ, the resurrection of the Christ when he wrote this psalm by the help of the Holy Spirit. He was looking to another king, he was looking to one who would love God with all of his heart, mind, soul and strength. Who would hit the bullseye again and again and again like Robin Hood. Whose body would be killed but whose life would remain secure. Who wouldn't see corruption. Whose soul was not abandoned to Sheol because of his perfection. He was looking to the resurrected son of God who truly walked on the path of life. 
And so we shouldn't read this psalm as if it was purely about us, or even as if it was purely about David. Um, we, we read this psalm knowing that it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus was offered that question, wasn't he? What's your perfect day, Jesus? And he was given carte blanche. He was given the world, wasn't he? He was tempted by the devil. And the devil said, you could have it all. As long as you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, no, I want the Lord. And he took God and he loved him above all. And he aimed his entire being, his entire affections towards his father in heaven. And he knew that even in death that he was secure. And he did that so that we might be able to sing this psalm, even with our weak convictions. Jesus is the choir master today of this psalm. And he calls us to sing it with him and to know it's true of us because we are singing it in him. And he leads us in this song. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, yet he shall remain secure. And he will not see corruption. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Even with our poor affections. And in Jesus, we, we might start to, to, to pull the bow and arrow back off the things that everyone else runs towards and, and aim them aim it towards God and to choose not to go the way of the world and he leads us in this song doesn't he and he puts this song in our hearts and helps us to, to aim our affections rightly and so let me ask the question again that we thought about at the beginning are you going to be okay it's a big question um, you can say yes to that question not because of anything that you've done or are doing well or that you've had a good week or you've had a bad week you can say yes I am secure because of the resurrected eternally secure saviour I can say therefore my heart is glad and my whole being Rejoices, and my flesh also dwells secure in the end. Because of Jesus, I can sing, You are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you.